Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to helping business owners prepare for an exit so you can maximize the value and exit on your terms. This is the Exit Insights podcast presented by Succession Plus. I'm Daryl Bates-Brownsword, and today I'm joined by Colin Sandberg. Hey, thanks for joining me, Colin. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Daryl. Appreciate it. Brilliant. Now, Colin, you've got a slightly different story to, um, I guess, the uh, a lot of the entrepreneurs that we have on the show who have already exited their business. You captured my attention with what you've already built and your your exit game and and what you're building and what you're planning to do. So um, why don't you give us a bit of a background and then we'll, we'll jump in and I'll see if I can uh, unpick all the right questions as we go. Yeah, sounds great. Um, so yeah, I've uh, I've yet to exit, although I certainly intend that uh, in the coming years. I think all of us uh, operating a business have intentions to exit at some point, one way or another. Um, and so far, my exits have been hiring a CEO. So a little bit of my background, um, I've got a uh, my first business I got into, I was 21 years old. I was super green. I didn't know anything about uh, business. I had determined through kind of an, an interesting uh, scenario that I wanted to be a small business owner, found the person uh, nearest to me who was a business owner and went to work for them. And 22 years later, I still own that company. Um, and I ran that company uh, for about 15 years as CEO and eventually hired my successor and started buying other businesses. And so I bought, uh, that first one was a conveyor manufacturer. So we make uh, airport conveyors. And then later bought a cabinet manufacturer, went back and bought another business in the uh, airport space, a door manufacturer. And now I'm working on my very first startup. But yeah, I've so I've kind of had the other side of the coin, um, not as a seller yet, but as an acquirer. And uh, and yeah, so that's kind of my story of, of how I got to where I am now. So you, it's a great story, Colin. As a young fella, you always, by the sounds of it, you always wanted to be a, a business owner. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Starting early in my, my probably 1920, I came to this realization. This is what I wanted to do with my life. And what was it that led you to want to actually be a business owner rather than a, an employee for someone? Yeah, believe it or not, it's kind of a weird story. I was in a job interview and in that job interview, there was a magazine laying on the table and I was waiting for the, the in the conference room, waiting on the interviewer to come in and talk to me. And I pick up this magazine, it was Inc. Magazine. And this is back in 1999, uh, 2000, somewhere around there. And the magazine was talking about um, an entrepreneur who was in the oil business, uh, had failed, went bankrupt, was humiliated, you know, felt really embarrassed about that, and ended up uh, going down to the courthouse. Somebody told him that a, a little side hustle business idea was actually to buy debt. And so he went down to the courthouse, he bought some people's debt. He called them up and said, hey, I'm not going to harass you. I'm not going to humiliate you. I've been through this myself. Let's work out a plan. Like, I'll come sit down with you at the kitchen table, and we'll figure out a way to make this work. And I don't need 100% of what you owed, but I need most of it. And let's, let's work together. And he was immediately, immediately successful doing that. And so on the second or third time he went down to the courthouse, he actually stumbled upon his own debt and bought his own debt for pennies on the dollar. And, you know, this, this moment I read this, I'm 
20 years old. I'd kind of been a bit of a screw up in my childhood. And it was like this bolt of lightning hit me that said, this is the way, like, this is the way for you to have a path in life where you can build your own destiny. And even if you stumble, you can go out and take life by, you know, by the reins and fix it. And so at that moment, I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. That was it. Okay. That's fascinating. And, uh, and we've all got different stories. So, so you, you started out, you went and worked for, a, 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 I guess it was a local business. You found a local entrepreneur and you, you started working for them. What was your first job with this, this company? Yeah. So I started out, you know, like many small businesses, it was like a marketing job title. I wasn't doing a lot of marketing. It, you know, you get into a small business and you're doing everything, right? Uh, my yeah. very first day on the job, I, I cleaned out a closet, you know, I mean, literally that, that was the beginning. So, um, but, but within a year or so, the business was struggling financially and, you know, the business owner had a lot of trust in me. I'd earned a lot of respect at the company, even within the first year, even though I was a kid. Um, and you know, I like to say, especially in small business, it's a little bit like people who are raised on a farm. It's like, you're a man when you can do the work of a man. And so, you know, I, I, I showed up, I might've been 21 years old, 22, I might've been a kid, didn't know anything, but I, I did the work of a man. And so, you know, I was treated that way. And so when the business was struggling financially, you know, the business owner said, Hey, you don't know anything about this either. And neither did he, but go tackle it, go figure this out. And I dove in with both feet and, and kind of never looked back. Okay. So can you give us some context, Colin? Like how many people were in this business? <clears throat> yeah. At the time it was 12 or 15 people. It was a relatively small business. Yep. So a classic small business, enough to have a, a bit of a, a number of layers of employees, but the owner you know, still knew everyone in the business, knew what was going on and was calling all the shots. <clears throat> Exactly. Yeah. Kind of that classic hub and spoke where the business owner's making every decision. It's like they're doing, yep. they're, they're running everything with a thousand helpers instead of actually building out a professional organization. So let's just test a theory for a second. My <laughs> experience with businesses of that size, I could come horribly unstuck here. My experience of businesses of that size is that um, when they get to that size, it's kind of the first inflection point for the owners. And what do I mean by that is that a lot of SME business owners are control freaks. They're used to doing everything themselves. They're calling the shots. They, they need things done a certain way. And most of the employees of, yeah, up to around, I'm going to say 10, 11 people, they're helpers. They're, you know, they're just being told what to do. They're, they're, they're assistants. And, and, and there's often a big gap between them and the owner or the owners of a business. And that's the way they like it because they're in control. It's their business. It's, it's their risk on the line. Um, but the downside of that is that there's no, they're doing everything themselves. As you say, hub and spoke, everything is dependent on them. Um, they are micromanaging and they're often getting in their own way. And they, they're not, well, they're trying to delegate. And when they delegate, they're really telling people what to do rather than giving them some freedom and scope to make their own mistakes. And, and they're, so they're telling them what to do and, and still micromanaging. People get frustrated in that environment and they tend to leave because they're, they, they don't want to be micromanaged. And so they'll go somewhere where they, they don't have a frustrated boss. How does that, that you know, as a context, does that uh, correlate with your experience there? That is 100% the experience. Um, oh, thank goodness and, for that. Yeah. And, and so to your point, you know, I was the first person who'd ever disagreed with the founder. 
I was the first one who'd ever told them an opinion that wasn't just regurgitating what they had just said. <laughs> and it, and it honestly, it led to a lot of headbutting. You know, I ended up buying the business over time, over several transactions, but you know, at the very beginning, you know, I was basically having to say, well, wait a minute, we're not doing this right. You know, and I was a kid, I didn't know what the right way was, but I knew I was, I was seeing a lot of the wrong things. And to your point, right. what, what's so scary about business owners who, who operate that way, and it's very natural. It's super common within a business of that size because the business owner, to your point, is freaked out by the risk. They've never done this before. They're really in kind of almost a panic mode. The scary part is good people leave, exactly like you said. And the people who stay are never going to get you past that, that ceiling. They're never yeah. going to get you to the next level. And so you start attracting the wrong people and, and repelling the right people. And it becomes this really vicious cycle that a lot, some business owners spend their entire career stuck in. Yep. So it sounds like um, you're quite a resilient character and, and you are one of the first to go, hang on a sec. We can keep doing this way, but yeah, we'll lose more people, including myself, or we can start, you, you, you stood up and said, well, hang on. Yeah. We need to do something different. Yeah. I'm, I don't know the right answer, but let me help you out and, and yeah, let's try it. And you challenge them and uh, challenge the status quo, which now sometimes that can work really well. And sometimes it can be to your own demise. So uh, sounds yeah. like this, it came off. So well, and what happened to your, to your point, you know, I would say that um, you don't like, we also don't want somebody in the business who just wants to challenge everything, right? No, there needs to be no. merit to it. And so I think what, what happened with me, especially was when it got to a point where I see we're going to harm the business and this business was struggling. When I felt like the business is on the line, then I have to speak up. My conscience says I, there's, I don't have another choice. And to your point, I, I had gotten to the point I was either going to leave or we were going to make changes. And I had to, I had to accept that those were the two likely outcomes and I had to be okay with either of them. But yeah, I wasn't going to spend my career in that, that type of environment, just saying, being a yes man. Okay. So you've, you've, you've challenged, but not for the sake of challenge. You've gone, we need to challenge these things. There's some beliefs here. We need to change. Clearly what we've been doing is not working. We need to change something. He's listened to you by the sounds of it, taken on some of those ideas. And that led eventually by the sounds of it to you, you starting to acquire some of the business from the owner. Yes. How did that, that, those conversations come about? Well, so I had bought, uh, you know, and I'll be really candid. I bought 25%, um, when we were still, he was still managing the business and it was still, um, really in that struggling mode. And I had taken over the finance of the business, gained a lot of trust, bought the first 25%. It obviously was not worth a lot of money. Um, and then as I took over as CEO, I bought up to 49%. And then later, okay. Uh, after he'd been gone for a number of years, bought the rest. But yeah, it was, there was a really interesting moment where, you know, we had a a mentor, really it was his mentor, but I would visit with as well. And I mean, he, we were going to this mentor over and over again with problems and kind of pitching our individual approaches. And at some point the mentor said, Hey, give the kid a shot. He knows what he's talking about. And, and so the business owner left the business. I became CEO and the business owner never worked another minute in the business. I mean, not one minute. Literally packed up his desk and was gone one day. Wow. So 
just to give us some context, so we, how long had you been in the business at this point? I, I took it over when I had been there for five years. Five years. Okay. So five years in and, and at what stage did you, did you acquire the 25%? Uh, probably about three years in. Okay. So about three years in, you've had a conversation. He says, okay, let's, um, you know, you're up to purchase some of the equity. How did you value the, the business at that stage? And you're going, I'm going to buy 25%. It's, it, it's, I, I imagine it, it wasn't a meaningless uh, chunk of change to you. Um, I know the business wasn't worth a heck of a lot, but I imagine you had to come up with some funding and, and yep. yeah, how did you, how'd you value it and how did you substantiate things? Yeah. I mean, it, it was a little bit of a back of the napkin valuation, right? When you're, when you've got two interested parties, um, obviously I couldn't afford to come out of pocket for a lot of it. So it was kind of on a loan basis. I had to pay back. Um, and yep. really what it came down to as I bought more and more of the business was essentially anything that would have been coming to me as distributions would have been coming to me as, as proceeds of the business were all going to the original business owner to buy out my shares. Um, but yeah, it was basically back of the napkin and, and really the business at that point was kind of a salvage. I mean, it was just, you know, okay, it's got a little bit of cash. It's got a little bit of inventory. Let's just come up with a number. It had no multiple to speak of at the time. Yeah. So you agreed to valuation, and, and I think this is an interesting point for, for listeners out there to go, how can I construct a deal when it's just, hey, look, we're, we're both interested. We're both keen to make this happen. How do we make it work? The bank might not fund me the money for, for whatever reason. But if I understand what you just said is basically <clears throat> you agreed that the, the business basically funded your your acquisition. So you, you um, future dividend payments that should have been coming to you were used as payments for your, your portion of the loan. And I imagine you had some 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 tax and and accounting work to to figure out how to make that work. Exactly. So it was a, a a mates rates type of deal, but these things happen. You 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 got your your advisors to work out the paperwork. So you're running you're you're owning twenty five percent for for another two years, and then at some point the the founder goes, Colin, over to you. I've still got seventy five percent at this stage. Over to you. And I guess you, what, you had some sort of conversation to go, well, if you're going to leave it to me, yeah, let's make it more interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I made it clear that, you know, really I wanted to ultimately own the business at that point. I'd put so much blood, sweat, and tears into it. And it was probably, it was maybe a year or two after he left that I, I, I did the 49% transaction. So it was kind of a conversation okay. ongoing from the time he left, but yeah, it was it was uh it was definitely, you know, a conversation around how can we make this switch and interestingly, we were talking you were talking about the control freak type of entrepreneur. I mean, that was it. That's why it, that's why it was only 25% at first. That's why it was only yes. 49% second. Um, you know, and that's that's how that goes. Okay, and was there any sense of um, once the owner had left the business and, and was out of the business uh, for a couple of years and you were CEO, was there any sense that, I guess, you had more bargaining power at this point? Um, yeah, I think, I think there was. You know, the hard part was, and, and it's really interesting, the same, the same mentor, and, and this is something for everyone uh, listening to think about, especially as you're going through a transaction, right? This is a guy who was selling his business to me. Now, by the time we were at this point, I was CEO of the company. I had all the customer relationships. 
I had all of the, the team relationships. And so to your point, I had bargaining power. The unfortunate thing is the same mentor who told him to give me a shot was now in his ear basically saying that, you know, I was trying to take advantage of him, which was, which was really ridiculous. That's not how I do business. It's not how I would have approached things. And so it was, I would just suggest to everyone is, you know, really think about the people that are in your ear. Do they have your real best interests at heart or are they, you know, kind of speaking onto you what they believe for themselves, right? Yeah. Well, that, well, there's a good point. There's a lesson in life. Be careful of, of, you know, you know, what other people are projecting. So, and how much did, so, so given that this was sort of a deal, how well documented was the deal and the ownership and the, um, I guess even the, 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 the promise of future share, um, acquisitions coming to you? Yeah, it was documented. Everything was done, you know, professionally with lawyers and that sort of thing. Um, Great. And, it, and, you know, again, I wouldn't say our valuation was was probably as, you know, professional as it could have been. But I know from buying companies, including, uh, you know, companies that are, uh, you know, struggling, that there's not really a way to value a company that's got no profit to speak of, right? And, and a business and in the early stages, valued, that was what, us. Yeah. A business has only valued what someone's prepared to pay for it. And he was lucky that he had someone from inside the business that was prepared to pay for it. So your first day of, um, I guess, CEO, what did you start doing? What did <laughs> you say? Hey, look, now I'm in the hot seat. I get control or I get to decide what we're going to do differently here. Well, the really, the really tough reality is that the first thing I had to do was lay some people off. Um, I made a really tough choice. And part of what we were dealing with uh, as we were making the decision for me to take over the business was we had about 70% of our revenue that we were losing money on and 30% of our revenue that we were making money on. And so as a company, we were basically break even or a little down. And I could show on paper, and this is coming back to you know my finance uh, orientation within the business. Look, I can show you on a whiteboard in thirty seconds the fact that this seventy percent of our business is losing because we're making less money than what the thirty percent would make on its own. And so, the old eighty twenty rule, <clears throat> exactly. And so, what I did was I eliminated the seventy percent of our revenue. And so, when I took over the business, I said, "Hey, we're not going to do that anymore." And unfortunately, that meant that several employees whose job was solely focused on that part of the business uh, were no longer part of the team. And it was, you know, I was 26 years old. Uh, I, was, I wasn't nearly as green at that point, but it was hard. It was a very hard thing yeah. to do. Well, that's never easy. But um, yeah, it's either a couple of employees or all of them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh. And that's, that's my belief is we take care of the company first before the owner, before any of the individual employees, because... We depend on the company to take care of everyone. And if we ever get that, you know, misconstrued, it will come back to haunt us and, and ultimately jeopardize everyone. Yeah. Okay. So we've, we've let go of some of the um, employees. We've, we've changed our product offering. Um, did that start to impact? How quickly did that impact the finances or was there more to be done? Well, it, it definitely impacted the finances. So, you know, from a realistically speaking, it was still 70% of our revenue. So we dropped pretty dramatically in terms of size. Uh, we, we did. And, and what I believe from the beginning was that if we woke up every day, it was kind of going back to the classic Jim Collins hedgehog concept. 
you know, we, we had to really realize what our hedgehog was. And, and my belief was that if we woke up every day focusing on that, what was formerly 30% of the business, we would grow it. And we did. And we doubled it in the first year and grew from there. Now, doubling 30% of your business only puts you at 60% of what you were the year before. So, it, you know, realistically, it was still a big hit. But we grew. And, you know, one of the big things I focused on early was I obsessed over us making money on every single deal we touched. Originally in the business, you know, these, these smaller deals were going on and they were just happening on autopilot. And when I started obsessing, we started growing margin. And we went from originally 30 to 35% margin on that work up to almost 60, I think it was 62, 63% by the time I, I left as CEO. And that was a grinded out over years process. But that was it. I mean, once we could focus on that part of the business, we obsessed over it. Well done. Okay, so we're we're turning around. We're turning a profit. So one or two years down the track, you're starting to the business is now profitable. What was the response from the owner who was um, no longer in the business? You know, it was weird. There wasn't a whole lot of response um, until I I came to buy the last piece and. Again, the the mentor, you know, it, it was a it was a very bizarre deal. I was brought over to the mentor's office, like this was some sort of negotiation, and you know, basically dictated some terms to that he was still going to have control, even though I would be the. I mean, it was just bizarre, and you know, unfortunately for for everyone at that point, you know, it it didn't, it really impacted our long term relationship. But you know, I was dead set on I'm going to build this to be a successful business. And I'm not going to do it in perpetuity for someone else. It just doesn't make sense. I'd rather go start yeah. over. And and realistically, you know, the business was in such bad shape for so long that it took me years. I always say, you know, the the old joke about, you know, what do you do when you find yourself in a hole? First thing you do is stop digging. So the first phase was just stop digging, right? That was the eliminating the wrong revenue, getting focused on profitability. It took a long time of even being profitable to climb out of that hole the entire way and start to get above ground and actually start to stack cash and resources and be ready to grow the way we wanted to. And so we were somewhere in that range when we had the final conversation about buying. I, I just said, look, yes, this business is worth more than you know what it was and I'm willing to pay you fair uh, rate for what it's worth today. But you know, this kind of absurd concept of I'm going to pay you a premium, which is what they wanted, and you're going to have control. And it's, it was just like, come on. At that point, I had my MBA. I had been a CEO for you know six, seven, eight years, whatever it was. I, I was like, not a chance, <laughs> not a chance. I'll go out and do my own thing. I'll go find people to you know raise capital if I need to, and I'll do it myself. Yeah. And and at that point, realistically, it was a really bizarre deal because they were pushing this kind of mindset that they had all the cards. And the reality is, like you said, even at the earlier negotiation, look, I've been running this company. Customers don't even know who you are anymore. Employees have never worked for you because by that point, most of the employees had turned over. What are we even talking about here? You know, uh, yeah. you can't sell a business with an unwilling CEO. <laughs> it just, it was just kind of a weird, a weird concept. Yeah. So how long did those negotiations take to, uh, I guess, complete the final transaction? Yeah, it took about a year and a half. 
Wow. Took about a year and a half of, of, you know, some, some heated conversations, some cooling off periods, some trying to reconcile some, you know, and it, and, and ultimately we got a deal done that, um, you know, was just, it, it ended up being, I think, relatively fair in the end, leaning a little bit in his favor. But I was a big believer and I, and I'm still a believer, you know, we talked about kind of a sweat equity method of, of earning shares. I'm a big believer that I have to make any investment worth more than what I bought it for. I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to get sweetheart deals everywhere I go. So it's kind of was my mindset anyway. I'm going to have to make this thing prove to be a great deal for me. Not, it's not going to be a great deal from day one. But by the sounds of it, like by the time, well, there were three transactions by the sounds of it. Yes. First 25, next 24, yep. And each of those transactions occurred at an increasing valuation. That's meant to be a question. Yes. Yeah. So, so, and at the final transaction, um, how was the profitability of the business compared to the lifetime of the business? Was it, was it the most profitable it's ever been at By that far. stage? Yes. So I, I can imagine the, the, the founder's reluctance to want to give that up because he's, he's sat back and he's got the dividends coming in um, and, and he's feeling like it's paid off. I can imagine him feeling like it's paying off for all that hard work and his sweat uh, in the early years. And um, okay, so you now acquired the business. You, you've now got 100% of it. How much longer, and I think you said you still own it today? Correct. Yep. So how's the revenue yes. uh, and, and profit of that business today compared to, I guess it's about 15 years ago now, uh, when you first took over complete ownership of it? Is yeah, it, it's, uh, it's yeah, substantially it's bigger. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's probably, from when I took over the business, it is probably four to five times bigger. Uh, in terms right. of revenue and, and similar, I mean, even more so in terms of profitability. Okay. So you've now been running, you've been CEO of the business for, for seven or so years. <clears throat> you've acquired the business. You've, yeah, as CEO and now 100% owner of the business, you've got this down pat, right? You're, you're, you know what you're doing. You're pretty experienced <laughs> as a young fella. Um, what else is there to learn? Like you've had some, some, some tough decisions. We are laying people off. And, and making some big investments and some and tough negotiations in acquiring equity, you've learned everything there is to learn about running the business by this stage, surely. Not even close. Uh, so <laughs> as you know, you know, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, hopefully the, the smartest I ever am is the last day I'm alive. You know, I'm, I'm always trying to get smarter, always trying to get better. Uh, you know, interestingly, I ran into some of the same challenges that we were describing earlier uh, on the show. You know, I, I, I got back to a size where we're 15, 17 people and, and start running into some of those same challenges. You know, um, interestingly, there's, you know, a, a great book that I love called The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. And he talks about a wartime CEO versus a peacetime CEO. And what he's really saying is, you know, hey, when you're in wartime, it is command and control. It is, yeah. you know, do it this way or get out of the way kind of attitude. And when we were in survival mode, when I first took over the company, that was the style. It, it had to be. And, you know, we got down as small as, as two or three people. I mean, we, we had to take it all the way down to the bones and rebuild it. So when we got back to 
you know, 12, 15, 17 people, that style doesn't really work anymore. And, and certainly not when we're a successful company that's now doing well. And I wouldn't say that it was as bad. I was never a, a control freak in the micromanaging sort of way, but could definitely have a domineering personality that you would find we'd hit a wall with. We couldn't get the highest caliber people because the highest caliber people wanted the autonomy to run their function, you know, more uh, completely. And that took a, that took a lot of, of, you know, introspection and, and growth to figure out how to get beyond that. So, and, and, and you're, I think you're sharing the message that, you know, that there's a lot of mistakes that we can see, but there's still a lot of mistakes that we need to learn for ourselves, even though we know what they are and, and can see other people doing them. We still have to experience it ourselves. And, um, that 10, 15 person hurdle growing through that, you, you experience that as well and, and changing and adapting your leadership style so the business could transform through that. So Colin, fast tracking it a bit, you, you've now owned the business. So you, you'd acquired that business by, by sweat equity and, or not sweat equity, but you, you, you purchased your way in and, and earned your, your, your place and, and role in that business. You got a taste for acquiring businesses. Um, so you've continued to um, apply the, the skills that you've learned throughout the years. And, and you, I think you haven't stopped there. You've acquired a few more businesses since and applying the same principles. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so interestingly, we talked a lot about this, uh, my, my former uh, partner's mentor. You know, this was the first guy I ever saw in a small business setting. He owned multiple businesses and he didn't work at any of them. And even though I had a lot of disagreements with this guy, even though I didn't agree with his methods, I mean, his methods in that, in that model was to have the, he wouldn't call him a CEO. He wouldn't hire a proper CEO. He'd have him come, you know, kind of, you know, bend the knee and he would tell him what to do. And, and so I kind of gleaned from that. Okay. This guy's got a really good concept of owning these businesses, but not having to work at them. But I didn't believe in the method he was going about it. And so from a very early stage, even before I took over as CEO of, of my first company, I always wanted to be involved in multiple businesses. I loved going to a mastermind session, hearing about different business owners, fascinated by different industries and different business models. And so I knew from a very early stage when I got to that point, that was going to be a goal of mine. And so I took some of the, the lessons that I'd learned from my first business and invested in a second business that was a, a cabinet manufacturer. Um, with a partner who runs that company today. He's the third generation in it. But some of what I had learned in my first business and that turnaround process was a playbook that he really needed at the stage we partnered together. Yeah. Okay. So you've come in, you've, you've learned from the, the skills of you as part of being a leader is learning what to do well and what you want to do and also doing, figuring out what you don't want to do. Um, and it sounds like you've applied that fairly well, um, acquired another business, you know, now how many businesses in your portfolio now? Uh, four. Four. And, uh, is there any end in sight or have you got a few more lined up that you want to keep acquiring and, uh, bringing into the portfolio? Yeah, it's just a time game. You know, I definitely want to continue to grow. Um, and it really is like we talked about, it's, it's. The reality is at every stage in life, you hit some sort of a ceiling and it, you don't grow until you figure out how to get better. 
And so for me, I'm, I'm doing my first startup right now, which is a, a strategic accounting company that I'm excited about. I have never done a startup. I've bought businesses, but never done a startup. But I'm, I'm deep into you know, making that business successful and, and really enjoying it. But I ultimately want to get back to this portfolio model of you know, multiple businesses and, and every one of them needs a CEO. Yeah. So not be in any of the businesses, but, but steering and guiding all of them. Absolutely. Okay, so, yeah. so Colin, let, let's let's explore this from um, I guess the listener's perspective. The listeners learning, and, and hopefully what they're hearing is is there. There's a pretty good strategy out there, whereas you can buy and acquire businesses from within. You can use the the profit or the funding from the business to to help fund that acquisition. Your role is to then grow significantly the, the valuation of that business uh, to make it worthwhile as a long-term exit strategy so the, the founder can gradually step away while the next generation comes in. And there's your foundation for a buy, uh, buy and build strategy. It's a form of buy and build. You, you've bought it yourself and you're building and then using the, the funding instead of paying off the, the owners then using the future profits to to fund other acquisitions by the sounds of it absolutely so so there's a model to to build wealth but um also build a a fulfilling and uh prosperous life because you're forever learning and and building on the skill sets and and the knowledge that you're acquiring year after year after year from a point of con continual best practice or continuous improvement by the sounds of it and and continually challenging yourself to be better and better and and learn and continually build and run better businesses. So if that's the framework, if I've summarized your career effectively so far, not that you you you've ended, you're still you're still to complete your exit strategy. If that's the the summary of the story so far, what's from your perspective as the person inside that story? What's the key point that you think that you know, other business owners that, that, that the point that you want to share with them and, uh, and make sure that they 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 take away from our conversation today? Yeah, I would say that the um, the key strategy is exactly what you talked about: knowing what your vision is, right? What you described as a model that fit my vision, and so that's what I've been doing, and it it makes a ton of sense for me. If someone is just absolutely passionate about one industry, one business, and that's what they want to do. That's great. Uh, yeah. But I would say that what one of the things that they need to take away from this is if you are at the center of your business, your business is not very sellable, right? And for me, it was, it's not just a, it was kind of a first step toward an exit is to have a professional CEO, have someone else who can run the business. Ultimately, if I want to sell a business, I can't be at the center of that universe or it, it harms the value, it, it harms the likelihood that the transition will be successful. And so for me, this was kind of a, a step in between that said, I can still own the business, but be arm's length from it. And then when the time comes to sell it, it's already teed up and ready to go. Brilliant. So you've got a, an asset that is as liquid as it can be for a small business asset. Absolutely. And if it's, if it's uh, self-sustaining in terms of resources, if it's basically creating additional uh, you know, liquidity over time through profits, exactly to your point earlier, I can continue to reinvest off of that business 
without harming the value of that business, right? So it's kind of exactly. the perfect scenario for me. And then when the time comes and we, we look at that with our businesses, everything in this world's for sale. You know, a thousand years from now, my family's not going to own these businesses. So realistically, there's going to come a point and, and it may be sooner rather than later when the fully liquidating makes sense. But in the meantime, this is kind of a great, you know, holding pattern to get, you know, me to continue buying more businesses and keep the, the door open to the right exit. Excellent. Colin, look, I really appreciate you coming on, sharing this as a strategy and sharing your story with the, with the podcast listeners today. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Daryl. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Exit Insights podcast. And if you have, now's a good time to subscribe and make sure you get notified of all future episodes. Now, if the topics have raised questions about the value potential in your business or how you will exit like a boss, then contact me and arrange a free strategy call where we can discuss what's required for you. Otherwise, if you'd simply like to learn more about how to prepare for when you want to exit, then you can download a copy of our ebook called It All Begins With Insights. The link is in the show notes. In this book, we'll show you how a business insights report can be used to assess your business to uncover your intangible assets and identify the value potential if you're ready for exit and your business is exit ready.